like, how did you get millions of dollars? Like, I would, ex- I want to read this and be like, the chairman of the Fed of Dallas was trading during this time and put 36K into dot, 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 <laughs> right? Like, that's what I want to read. Like, you are representing the American people and the American people don't have millions of dollars. This podcast contains the arguably witty banter of two friends, Skippy and Doogles, that like to debate about investing. The content is intended to be entertaining and for informational purposes only, not investment advice. You should do your own research and consult a financial professional before using any of the information in this podcast, and especially before investing. Top of the morning. You did this a couple weeks ago. It's always top of the muffin. It just always is. Because first of all, who says top of the morning? Like, that's not a thing. And, uh, and, the, and, and I could tell you when I lived in Ireland, no one said top of the morning to me ever. No, everyone does. Trust me. I've seen the movies. <laughs> I'm excited to get back to the banter. I, I missed you for a week because oh. we did we did we did the heavy negative interest rates with uh, James McIntosh. By the way, we thanks, did. James. We appreciate you coming on the show. Yeah, banter. Banter is good. I, I missed you so much in the banter that I had dreams about Jesse Livermore. <laughs> That sounds depressing. For for those that don't know, Jesse Livermore was a famous trader from the first half of the 20th century. Huge shifts in fortune. He would go big, 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 rich, like bankrupt, like big, 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 rich, bankrupt. Yeah. Uh, and then sadly ended with the uh, ultimate bankruptcy as he uh, he took his own life. One shouldn't dream about him. Like that's that's like not a thing that, that you do. No, you especially do. Uh, I mean. I guess they kind of understand like a, a Buffett type figure or someone, uh, Ed Thorpe type figure, someone that mm-hmm. kind of like went out on top, we'll say. Yeah, that did not happen with Jesse Livermore. So why are you dreaming about him, Diggles? Here's the good news. I woke because I woke up one morning and I was like, I had vivid memories of Jesse Livermore. And I was like, I had a, this is, this has gone too far. I need to get back into the podcast studio because I'm dreaming about investing. The good news is though, that I realized I just left my ear, my uh, AirPods in, I like falling asleep with my AirPods and. So Jesse Livermore stuff was just playing in my ears and it wasn't actually a dream. So that's the good news. But uh, regardless, it was still, it was a sign of, of the need. for. I mean, I, I hope that's comforting for our listener. The Dougals is doing research in his sleep. <laughs> yeah. I, he's always been the expert researcher on the, the team here. But man, you're really going above and beyond these days. Yeah, I guess I said the good news is, but is it worse actually that you're, <laughs> yeah. never mind. Like you <laughs> just mind. had, you, you were like, in bed with AirPods in, with finance podcasts, like <laughs> queued up in your queue. That's that's not really good news. All right. Never mind. I was I'm not sure which is worse. So choose your own adventure, people. Choose your own oh, adventure. Man. Can I kick us off with some listener mail? Oh, dude, I'm so excited for today. You could kick us off with anything. So we got a couple pieces of listener mail uh, from John. One was about NASDAQ Data Link, which is a service previously known as I'm going to pronounce it Quandl. I always want it to be called Candle, but it's Q-U-A-N-D-L. It has a whole bunch of data in it. They bring in like other people's like investment research, professional, when I say people, yeah. not like this, you know, um, professional data research. So I use it for like getting price data and whatnot. But Quandl was bought by NASDAQ. So now it's NASDAQ Data Link. If you are someone that's looking for, for data for your own personal investment purposes or professional anything, you know, I think it's worth taking a look at. But he sent that over. And then the other piece that I want to spend a minute on that he sent over is this NPR article called TikTokers are trading stocks by copying what members of Congress do. 
Oh, this and is we, right in your wheelhouse, Diggles. Mm-hmm, right, right all up in the wheelhouse. The interesting thing, as we've talked on here previously about Congress and trading and whether or not that should be allowed and what could be put in place and whatnot, we've discussed that in the past. And what this was showing is, and we talked about TikTokers too. So what this was showing is there, there are people on TikTok that are basically calling Nancy Pelosi, and I quote, the queen of investing and watching her her uh, the trades that actually she's not doing but her husband is doing yeah but she has she discloses them and they're watching these trades and they're like get up in this people get up in this look what the pelosi's doing she's the whale right and it's just, it's like it's pretty phenomenal um what, so lo- what are some of those uh what's the, some of the recent stock picks do we have that info that is that didn't come up in here in the article they didn't they didn't talk about that but it's like millions of dollars that it's that's changing hands here but they didn't talk about the specifics of what of what uh her husband is picking, but it was just the fact that there are TikTokers that are creating complete investment portfolios based upon what's happening with Nancy Pelosi and other members of Congress. A lot of thoughts here. So one, John, thank you so much for the mail. I think John has now sent us multiple lunar mails, which is like, you might get three stickers for that, homie. That's that's a big Ooh. deal. So John's in the ring of fame, maybe. I don't I don't know how this works. When I, what I should do right now, what I'm not going to do, but what I should do is start taking notes for all the things that scream this is a massive bubble. Joke, digital currencies uh, becoming a thing that movie theaters take and TikTokers trading on spouses of congressional picks. I mean, there's a little bit of uh, understanding here. You'd think Pelosi has some inside information, which is scary about all the trading that happens in Congress, right? There was one quote, I wish I'd taken it down, but there was one quote from this that was basically saying that like uh, about how they must have more information uh, than I have, you know, kind of thing uh, in there. But so what isn't screaming a bubble right now? I mean, that's a, you like your list would be so long. The one thing that's not screaming a bubble is Kathy Wood. Kathy Wood is saying it's not a bubble. Meanwhile, I know. Her, I her portfolio is, is saying her bubble stock portfolio is not on the rise. <laughs> so I don't know. But anyway, but it seems like everything else is effectively saying like we're in a bubble. It does it, not necessarily saying the bubble's going to pop, you know, all that stuff. But come on. I mean, how do you how do you deny this? Well, so let me let me go back for those who are going to make it to the James McIntosh interview. The thing he said that caught me off guard that I really loved and we didn't even really go there because this wasn't negative interest rates. Uh, we were asking kind of about where he thinks we might be in bubble territory. And he he broke down really eloquently. I can't do it justice, but the fact that he doesn't think a central bank can ever get to the point where they're in that bubble bursting category, meaning raising interest rates to keep things from getting too frothy, because the ramifications of that would be a bunch of people losing their job. And as a government entity, it's really hard to be like, well, this is an exact science, but I think... We're in bubble territory. And because I think we're in bubble territory, we're going to try and cool that off. And that is going to negatively hurt the economy because you don't know how long it's going to run. You don't know if you have another 10 years of job growth or if it all ends tomorrow. Like, yeah, I just thought that was really insightful. Did you um, pick up on that? I, I did. I, I'm not a politician, right? I'm not a politician. I, I wish it were different is all, I guess, kind of all I'd say there. That's all I'd say. Cause well, Because to me, it feels <laughs> like you, you don't want to be in the business of popping bubbles that don't exist. And I, I see like the risk that could sit there. But with something like like where it seems like we are right now, where everything is building up to the fact that if it collapses, it's so bad. Yeah. It, it, like being able to put a floor 
under what could collapse, I feel like is is what the Fed does. Like that's part of what they do. It's what they've done during the um, like when the pandemic and everything is saying, like, can we just can we uphold things? But when you're when you're lifting something up that is already like on such a pedestal, it just feels like you're actually lowering the floor. And that that's where it seems to me like there could be something like in that. But I, I understand James point like fully like I get his point fully. It's more just like I just wish that there was something that could be done there. But, well, yeah. And, and to your point, what I think is fascinating is you can argue that they're playing the other side of the deck here and effectively main reason why things are getting too too bubble like right with all the money printing and low interest rates so then it's easy for me to say well it's you guys are a a significant part of the cause you have to be part of the solution it's just um fascinating yeah but but actually what are they a part of they are they're just riding the wave (laughs) is apparently what they're doing oh yeah they're they're a part of making money in their own uh portfolios yeah so you sent this over this week with regard to the I'm going to call it a scandal. I don't know what it's being called, but I'm going to call it a scandal because that just feels better. <laughs> no, I mean, I don't have it up in front of me. I'll pull it up. But uh, what is it? 133 federal judges participated in cases where they should have recused themselves because they had a financial interest in the business on trial is the simplest way to say it, right? Yeah. And the business on trial for the Fed is the economy and the markets. And Robert Kaplan, <laughs> who's the chairman, uh, of the Fed of yeah. Dallas and Eric Rosengren, so I'm not sure if that's the right pronunciation. Is the this leads the Boston Fed? Oh, and I'm so peeps- sorry, I got my articles confused. No, this is even worse. Yes, the yeah. leaders of the Fed is even worse. Yes, the, these peeps is trading individual stocks over the last couple of years in to the tune of one of them. I can't remember who was like millions of dollars of stock, right? That they're trading. But I tell you this: what what has happened now is they're both resigning. But one of them is not resigning because of this, just to be clear. I just want to be really, really clear. One of them is resigning. Spend, this is spend this more is time Eric. with family, right? It's a, well, due to health issues. Health health reasons, yeah. But the, the health reasons just coincided with something coming out saying that you were trading when perhaps you shouldn't have been. But alas, health issues. But to to tie those two, the two pieces of what we mentioned from the listener mail and this together, it's like uh, there are there are people in government that are trading individual stocks. Seemingly, though, in accordance with the rules, like it doesn't seem like they're actually breaking the ethical guidelines that were laid out. However, it does make us question those ethical guidelines. I mean, it it really just pisses me off. I'm trying to find I want to give a shout out to a couple of tweets here. So here this is from uh, your boy, Morgan Housel, net worth less than 100K fired net worth between two or sorry, less than a million fired between Two and five million resigned between six and 10 million exploring other opportunities between 20 and 99 million don't want to create further distractions greater than 100 million settled with regulators without admitting or denying wrongdoing. There's this thing that like, depending on your wealth or your status, that you don't get treated like a normal person even if you do egregious things in society. Isn't that so weird? These people are incredibly financially successful. They do something that I think is clearly wrong and that seems like there's no consequences. And you can do things like retire for health reasons rather than get kicked out the door for cheating the American people. You know, like, am I being too harsh on this? Weird isn't the word I would would choose. It's like... (laughs) It's the way that our society tends this works 
And it, it's it's not it's not OK. You know, one of my reactions, in addition to the come on, people like, why can't we get this right? That was my first reaction. My other reaction was, where'd you get millions of dollars? I, I just I would expect. Oh, no, sorry. That's not the right language because I, I, I understand the truth. But if you were to just like drop me into society and we talk about government officials, like they shouldn't have millions of dollars. It's kind of where my like it should be the, the person here or there. Right. Like when you bring up like a like Senator Romney, you go, yeah, you used to run Bain Capital. You become a senator and you're like yeah, a billionaire. Yeah, OK, yeah. But it's when if when it seems like it's everywhere, like how did you get millions of dollars? Like I would ex- I want to read this and be like the chairman of the Fed of Dallas was trading during this time and put 36K into dot, dot, dot. <laughs> right. Like th- that's what I want to read. Like you are representing the American people and the American people don't have millions of dollars. I mean. Not the majority of them, anyway. It's uh, we should send the intern on a case study here to research these specific individuals and how they generate their wealth. I'm afraid it's not as idealistic as you'd like it to be, Dougals. I think there's uh, a long history of handshake deals with uh, highly powerful, high earning individuals that end up as the president of our regional f- feds. As long as they're using that hand sanitizer before they shake the hands, I guess. Yeah, probably not, man. Oh, dirty hands. Right, and- just to reset, since I mentioned the wrong article previously, we won't talk about this in detail, but the Wall Street Journal did. It's 131 federal judges that broke the law by hearing cases where they had a financial interest. And same same sort of nonsense. I don't know why these people that are typically very wealthy uh, in the grand scheme of things always want to make two more bucks for themselves by breaking the law. It just seems like it's so easy to recuse yourself <laughs> not make trades based on, you know, if you're Nancy Pelosi's husband or if you're a federal judge or if you run the Fed in Dallas, like it just seems easy to do, but apparently it's not. And going back uh, again, mentioning the James McIntosh interview, like when, when we asked him the question around how he invests his personal wealth, like made it very clear. Like it seems so obvious and clear to him that as a reporter, I obviously can't buy individual stocks, but to someone that runs like one yeah. of our 12 federal reserve banks, like that's not an obvious thing seems counterintuitive. I'm with you, man. And it seemed like there was uh, more integrity there than, than there are in other parts of the government, which is silly. Sad. But Hey, we'll get in trouble if we talk, uh, politics too much what's next in the fishbowl let's touch on this morgan stanley paper that came out a few weeks back called turn and face the strange which is a very odd title for any paper just to be clear but this paper i found to be quite interesting what this paper was about is change that's happening in sports and a tie-in to investing there not going to go through too much detail of the paper itself. I do recommend that folks uh, Google it, read it, because it's just really, it's, it's a, it has some interesting facts in there. What the paper talks about broadly is how oftentimes, this gets back to what we've talked about with uh, no one gets fired for buying IBM, that when change happens, there are these barriers to people changing that's basically like, I don't want to do the thing that other people aren't doing today even though in many cases it's proven that that is the thing that works. So in the sports world, what it talks about is the movement to the three-pointer in basketball and how when that first came up, it was like 30 years ago or so, like people still weren't taking the three-pointer, but over the last decade-ish, the three-pointer has just taken off. And it talks about 
So it talks about fourth down in the NFL and how statistically you should go for it. But you can kind of get fired if you do the thing, right? That's not supposed to happen. This actually, this this uh, ties back to what you were mentioning just a couple of minutes ago, right? Around do, doing the thing that seems like it might be a little bit risky, even though the data shows that it's right, you can potentially get fired for, right? Unless you become somebody that then has effectively, I'll call it tenure, right? You have enough prestige and it's such that you have some job security, then you can start to take some risks. Yeah, this is great. So these are all my boys. Uh, Michael Mobison wrote this paper. He's so good. I went back and forth on Twitter about it, about this paper and how good it was. There's some visions by Kurt Goldsberry, who is a uh, uh, NBA kind of researcher that also teaches at the University of Texas, Austin. Wrote a brilliant book called Sprawl Ball, specifically about uh, this in the NBA. I know some folks at the University of Oregon in the sports business program that have have dove into this stuff. Fascinating stuff. If you're at all a sports fan, either start with this paper or start with Sprawlball, and you're going to love it. Dugos, we could do a whole show, and maybe we should, because brilliant folks like Richard Thaler, 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 (laughs) how come I can't say his name? University of Chicago. Richard Thaler? Thaler? Can you say it? (laughs) How come I can't say it? Hip-hop anonymous? Yeah, (laughs) it's it's Richard Thaler. Who, so... I enjoy uh, from as an economist, really enjoy Richard Thaler stuff. And for some reason, I don't know why, whenever I hear the name Richard Thaler, it makes me think that he's one of the ghosts from Scrooge. Oh, I thought you were going to say the guy from Fugitive, Richard <laughs> Kimball. <laughs> <laughs> Samsonite. No, no, no. But Okay, so Richard but, yeah. Thaler uh, is all, all up into how inefficient the NFL is with uh, going for uh, fourth down. And it's like free money, man. I can guarantee you that in 20 years, coaches in all types of football will go for it on fourth down significantly more than they do. But this inertia against doing something different is holding them back right now. Everyone's job security is actually costing them wins, which is amazing yeah. to me. And, and this paper does a great job explaining that. Fantastic. I'm going to drop two quotes from it that I really that I love. The, and they feed into one, one another. The first one is worldly wisdom teaches that it is better for reputation to fail conventionally than to succeed unconventionally. Yep. Love it. The second one is what used to be a potential source of edge has now become the ante to play the game competitively. That's what happens, right? Like it's, it's tough to get in to try the new thing, to try the new thing, even if it has the data that points in that direction. But once people start doing it, now it's table stakes. Yeah. So the first quote is like, life in a nutshell basically people are people what are you doing you dancing over there no it's from uh, a nutshell man this is me in a nutshell too soon too late i I guess really too late (laughs) really happened i don't even remember that movie (laughs) now i lost my train of thought anyway first one's great second one is is uh if, if you take the second quote and you build on the first, what's interesting to me is you have all these people that are like, I'm not going to follow the data because I'll lose my job. But then when it catches fire, they lose their job for not being progressive enough and they get replaced. So there's like this very interesting turning point that happens where you're like rebelling against being progressive. And then if you don't follow the data, you're out on the street. Yeah, I, I think uh, go go read this paper. It's a uh, it's 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 interesting stuff. Um, to your point, I think we we could do and maybe should do a full 
show on it and uh, not maybe not on the paper but broadly like what it talks about we could bring somebody on to talk about this it's a fascinating like set of topics and it'd be awesome actually the i can't remember his name right now but the uh the director of operations i think is the title for the 76ers um Darryl has Murray. what was that daryl maury yeah exactly is like fascinating and talking about some of this stuff um so anywho love it go read it what's in your fishbowl yeah. uh well just let me tap one last thing dan callahan was the co-author of that paper so yeah. credit where credit's due do you want to talk about Evergrande? Uh, yes, I would love to talk about Evergrande. Just, just real quick, because I'm sure people have heard this in the news, so I won't do it. It's it, here's a NPR did a great article just breaking down Evergrande and what it means uh, for the Chinese economy. And so I want to throw out a few quotes from that and get your reaction. And just first, before we get into that, what is Evergrande? Uh, massive property developer. At one point, the highest valued property developer in the world whose leader is is very politically collect connected in china and people felt like he had connections to basically get unlimited amounts of debt to finance the property bubble in china um and that's all come to a halt recently because of a change with the the leadership approach about how property should drive environmental growth in china which we've been talking about, we're blue in the face about this now. I mean, every week there's some new, we're not going to do this anymore as an economy. And then there's the ramifications in the stock market and across the world because of that. So here's a few quotes. So the Evergrande story is bigger than just one company. It's about China's unsustainable model of economic growth, which relied on endless investment and a mad debt-filled development frenzy in recent years. We're going to talk about it more, but there is entire cities in China that are basically 100% empty. They're saying the current occupancy is around 80%, meaning 20% of all the stuff that they've built recently is just completely empty. But it's been fueled by speculation that someone might live there at some point or that economic investments in real estate have proven to be good investments in the past, so we'll continue investing in those in the future and i won't i'm not going to directly call this sign of a bubble but i will say generally speaking sign of a problem is when people are doing things just to do them because you need to do something right yeah. i think that that's generally a sign of like a broad problem and this is case in point i mean if you going back to your other side of the bubble of people like i need to trade something where do i get my ideas from nancy pelosi's husband like that's a sign yeah. of a bubble when you're building cities that look like other cities around the world because you need to build something is a sign of a problem, I would say. So, man, I had so much fun with this. Dateline or somebody, ABC News, I don't know who it was, did a breakdown. They sent some dude around China to a exact replica. Well, not exact. A very, very good replica of Paris that happens to be in China. Uh, with the Eiffel Tower and everything else. Same architecture, same statues, same like water fountains. There's replicas of Venice, which is hilarious because Venice is like the city you wouldn't redesign if you had a chance since it's falling apart, but they decided to. Uh, there's replicas of Jackson Hole, Wyoming, which, hey, we don't live far from Jackson Hole. It's a great town. It's not something that you really want to like 
recreate in the way there's there's not a ton going on in Jackson Hole, especially if you don't have the Tetons. So I understand if you want to build the Tetons, but the city of Jackson Hole, you like this is crazy. Let me throw two more facts your way. The real estate industry in China, directly or indirectly, accounts for as much as twenty nine percent of China's entire gross domestic product. And there are enough vacant property, there's enough vacant property in the nation to house more than 90 million people, which is more than the entire population of Canada or France or Germany. So basically, you have vacant homes to house the entire population of Germany. Like, that makes no sense. No, it, it doesn't. And to give, to give folks a, a comparative figure, I think in the U.S., real estate is something like 15% of GDP or like some, something along those lines. And real estate is inflated in the US. <laughs> like, so you can, you could just imagine if we're, you're 2x that effectively uh, in China, that's a, it's a significant percent. Yeah. So the music's going to stop here. Evergrande has missed bond payments and the future looks bleak for them, which is going to greatly impact the Chinese GDP figures um, going forward. Now, I don't know what we'll find out in coming months, like what the strategy is, because we know that China seems to want to grow at more than 7% a year, because that's how you keep people happy at, at this point, uh, when there's some restrictions on their freedoms. It, it'll just be an interesting thing to watch. Oh, whoa, Nelly. I got to woosah myself on a daily basis is what I got to do. Woosah. It's the gift that keeps on giving. It does. All right, what's next with you? All right, I'm dipping into the fishbowl here to talk about, let's stick on the real estate game. I want to talk about rent, and I want to talk about REITs. On the rental game, rents in the U.S. of America are skyrocketing right now. Quiz time, my friend. Quiz time. Let's talk September 2021, one-bedroom median rent prices. Give me the top three cities in the U.S. Go. I'm going to go New York. San Francisco, and Seattle. I had to go top three because I knew the third one would be the trickiest. And I, I need you to fool yourself. So yeah, New York is number one. San Francisco is number two. Boston is number three. Ooh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Boston's number three. So we're talking to give you some numbers. New York, median one-bedroom rent price, $29.50. San Francisco, $2,800. Boston, $2,410 are the numbers that are in this. This is a Zumper uh, real estate report. Yeah. Rent growth this year has been off the cheesy. And so this is not, this is not normal stuff. Uh, so if you look at 2020, prices were generally pretty static. And they're usually static, even if you go before that. Like it's, a, it's effectively within maybe a couple points, you know, like it goes up or down rent prices. Yeah. This year, nationally, one bedroom rent has gone up by about 11%. And there's some wow. places where we're talking gone up 25%. Like in, if I were to say, where's an inexpensive place to go get a one bedroom where people might want to retire? You're going to say, I'm thinking probably somewhere in Arizona. And I'm going to say, that used to be true. And then you're <laughs> going to say, give me some stats. And I'm going to say, Scottsdale <laughs> is now number 10 on this list. We just had that a conversation a, right there. Yeah, that was a great conversation. I really enjoyed that one. <laughs> <laughs> this uh, 
Oh man, the ramifications of this are crazy. But in a way, I feel like this is so predictable. I don't know if we were doing the pod, but we were definitely talking at the the height of the fear of the pandemic. I bought SL Green, which is commercial real estate in Manhattan only, some of the world's most sought after real estate. And the that's thing a just shared fell stock. A that's a shared stock holding. Oh, you own it now because yeah. I don't own it anymore. Yeah, I, I I own it. Um, because you you sent it over. I bought a few real estate stocks. That was one that I I picked up. Yeah. So I um when I did my rebalance, I I really debated. It was one of those where I thought you you know how sometimes things fall out of your model, Dougals, but you keep it in the personal. And I, I really went back and forth, decided against it. But like, it just seemed like a no brainer, man. I mean, New York real estate is New York real estate for a reason, and the rents have rebounded or grown in a way in almost every desirable spot in america to higher than they were pre-covid like this is going to be a thing that we have to deal with and i've read some articles um that say the fix will take 10 years because of some of the i think we talked about this when we talked about the mobile home stuff right some of the zoning in place makes it really hard to build new rental facilities or homes as fast as the demand has grown for yep. it. So this is not going away anytime soon. It's not. It's not. And the going to supply and demand, um, the rationale that was provided, this is not the only rationale, but one of the big components that was provided as to what's going on here is that is an increase in demand. So broadly, but specific yep. increase in demand is a whole bunch of Gen Zers were living in their parents' cupboards, apparently, or somewhere during the pandemic. And now they are emerging. And they're coming into their own adulthood and and all of them, it seems like a whole generation is just going out and starting to rent property as a put instead of doing it when they like graduated or whatever, a year and a half ago are now going out and doing it is one of the reasons that they they said demand's going up in some of these places. Well, which probably means that there's there's jobs available for them, because uh, there's labor shortages almost everywhere. It also means that wages are rising for them correctly which helps offset some of this uh, increase in rental costs. I don't know if offset's the right, yeah. the right word. I think yeah, it's offset's more like a... Offset's probably the wrong word. Yeah, it's, it's part of the same cycle, I think, basically. Well, that's what's been frustrating to me about the, the inflation mindset, I'll call it. So I'm just speaking from my opinion here. Like, It just seems like you saw wages at the lower end of the spectrum, I'll call it, increased fairly significantly and then it seems like all that disappeared with rising food costs rising rent costs everything else so i don't know that the purchasing power of your individual that's that has a fast food job has increased if anything it feels like it's decreased in the past 24 months yeah i think i think that's right it's a this is it's a cycle that's a little it's a little scary man telling you going back to what we talked about with the fed it's a scary cycle watch yourself fed they can't watch themselves because they're too busy on Robin Hood buying Evergrande options. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Can I throw one more thing out there? Yeah, please. All right. So what I'm going to throw out, this is back on the supply and demand situation. I think this is a really well done uh, piece of, I'll call, I'm going to call it literature that was put out by JP Morgan. It's called Dude, Where's My Stuff? Yeah. You know, and, I thought the title didn't do the piece justice, to be honest. I know what they're trying to do there, but like, yeah, this is really quality <laughs> research. And it, that's like a crappy movie. It's a reference to a crappy movie, right? 
So I'm, I'm hanging out on the JP Morgan website where people just hang out sometimes. And Only I see people dude, that listen to investing podcasts in bed. <laughs> fair, fair enough. And I see dude, where's my stuff? And I was like, am I still on the JP Morgan website? Like it was, it was actually like a moment of confusion because I just isn't. Anyway, I clicked it. So I guess someone did their job. But this article goes into the uh, supply chain crunch, which we chatted about before, right? So another, this is just another crunch that we're facing. The data they put together in here, I just think I'm going to go through a few of them. I just think is really interesting. And yeah. um, the a couple of top line points, maybe before we get into the specifics of the data, we are in this, this supply chain crunch situation overall, where we can't get the goods from one side of the world to the other. Right. And so that's rising. It's raising prices in a whole bunch of w- different ways. We talked about the lumber market before you've talked about the uh, Long Beach shipping container situation. Right. We've, yep. we've discussed it. This throws out these bottlenecks and saying that there are there are two key bottlenecks um, that are leading to many of the pieces of data, uh, according to this, they're talking about. One is that there's increased demand. So coming out of the pandemic, there is in some ways, like going back to the apartment piece, like unprecedented demand for goods and services that folks have. At the same time, you have a de- decrease in the number of workers that are able to handle the supply chain. And so mm-hmm. people need their goods. They need their stuff, as it were. And they're saying, dudes, where's my stuff? Because supply chain's broken. The other one that we, we've discussed before, the other bottleneck is semiconductors. And so semiconductors go into nearly everything. There's a supply chain crunch in semiconductors specifically, and that's thrown off. That's our not the game. We are about to, this is hitting home. You mentioned how it's hitting home for you in this way, because you've been trying yeah. to buy a car for a couple of years, not trying yeah. to buy a car, but you've been they, talking about buying in a the car. Market, yeah. We are leaving our homes uh, once we wrap today, heading out to the dealership, man. And we're going to see the car that's on the lot and see if that's a thing that we want to purchase. The um, one car? The one car. Because we're leasing right now. Our, our lease is up in December. Oh, baby. And so- something's got to happen in the next two months. And so that's why we're kind of like, well, we should go now because it, it might be like we can't get a car until December. And so let's start the process. But can, I'm can really I jump curious. In, yeah, can I jump in on the semiconductor piece? I learned a lot about that from this article that I, I should have known, didn't know. So the semiconductors in like the world's fanciest computers and phones are super tiny. They're like eight nanometers or something. But that's not the holdup for the semiconductors that feed most of the electronics in cars. Those are 200 nanometers. And so what's going on that I didn't realize is there's no desire to build more 200 nanometer semiconductor uh, fabrication facilities because it's like a legacy technology that's not cutting edge in any way. And that's kind of why they're used in cars because they're fairly affordable and everything else. And they, they do the job in a, a quick enough time that it's no big deal. But that's one reason why there hasn't been a quick fix here because no manufacturing facility around the world is like, yeah, we're going to build more supply for 200 nanometer chips that aren't going to be relevant in five years. And, but uh, anyway, that was just fascinating. The other thing on semiconductors is I didn't realize that they were the world's fourth most traded good behind crude oil refined oil and cars is that yeah, i didn't realize that either that it's really it's interesting another on the non-semiconductor front like you're just talking about the thing you learned there there's this phenomenon that they mentioned because I, I put like what you just said is like an odd like phenomenon of that uh, that leads to this crunch there's one that they mentioned too that i i hadn't realized or thought about that is the 
freight rates are going up dramatically because of what we talked about. But specifically, it's eastbound freight rates yep. that are going up. Uh, eastbound, as an example of an eastbound route, is Shanghai to LA, right? So those rates are are going up dramatically. And dr- by dramatically, I'm I'm talking quadruple, right? right dramatically, uh, like in uh, the end of 2020, it was around two thousand bucks. Now it's approaching twelve thousand bucks. Yeah, exactly. So orders of magnitude higher. So they're going up in that direction. However, westbound freight rates haven't risen nearly as much. And so what this report is saying is what that's incentivizing is people to get all up in that eastbound freight rate. And so once they deliver their goods in the eastbound, they take their empty containers yep, yep. back because they want to get back as fast as possible so they can get that eastbound rate. And so that's exacerbating the issue too. Well, and that puts more boats at waiting at Long Beach and LA because they're rushing back. Normally, it, I shouldn't say normally, it seemed to imply that often they might stick around and load those containers with uh, grains or, you know, other American exports and send it back westbound. And now because the price for eastbound is more than double the price for westbound, you it doesn't take an economist to figure out that you head back as soon as you can to charge that $14,000 rate instead of a effectively $2,000 rate. It's actually less than that. It's like 1500 bucks to go from LA to Shanghai. So cheap, man. That's like, next time I want to fly to Tokyo, I'm taking a boat. And I quote, the next time I want to fly to Tokyo, I am taking a boat. Can we cut that, please? All right. So <laughs> No, I think we got it. <laughs> That's that's going to be the whole pod. I'm cutting everything else. Just All right. The other thing I saw in this article, and there's so much here, so uh, keep jumping in. When when goods get to LA, there's n- kind of no place to store them, and then there's a shortage of truck drivers to take them from LA to the rest of the country, too, which is is crazy. Like This is not going away anytime soon. No, we could spend forever in this, too. Because it goes into goes into like housing and foreclosure rates. It's just it is a it's a fascinating piece of again I'll say it literature um, that that folks should spend some time on. I love this stuff. I love this stuff. Uh, you know, clickbaity title, do that thing, but alas, good stuff. Cool. What else is in your fishbowl? Dollar Tree, baby. We're back you, to the dollar I, stores. I mean, as you know, dollar stores are my thing, or one of my things. And I think it was less than six months ago, I was telling you how Dollar Tree just had the best deals around. And it's my, my, my dream is over. They, they're going to raise the prices. They're not going to have some items that cost $1.50. I don't know where I'm going to come up with that extra 50 cents. And some that cost $1.25. Can I just get a rapid reaction from you on this? I don't care about Dollar Tree. I do care about Dollar General, though. But anyway, the thing I, one of the things I found... I'm going to, I'm going to call it a little bit scary. I didn't even know how to react to this when I was reading about the Dollar Tree uh, raising prices situation is there was a line in one of the articles that said that now they would be able to hold more meats. (laughs) Those are like beef jerkies. And (laughs) all I, all I could think about was what does the, the, change in price from one dollar to 150 first of all why'd you more meats why'd you have meats at a dollar 
And what is what is the change in price from $1 to $1.25 or $1.50 get you from a meat perspective? That's a bad. Oh man. Listen, if you're going if you're going up by 50%, you're raising prices by 50%, you can pack a lot more meats in there. Um <laughs> can I can we, can we just react how the question was, can I get a rapid reaction from you? And you said, I don't care about Dollar Tree. That's so great. Like <laughs> no. Yeah, I can't get a reaction. Yeah, I'm not giving you a reaction. I don't care about this. Uh, no, it's, I'm just I'm just praising my Dollar General. So uh, in the article, uh, the Wall Street Journal, they have a just a picture of some random Dollar Tree, and uh, there's a guy going to the door, and the door is boarded up with plywood because someone broke through the glass. Which just that is Dollar Tree if I've ever seen it. My local Dollar Tree seems to be missing a window, like. <laughs> basically five times a year so it was really true to form the thing that's not true to form is this huge sign that says everything's one dollar they have to tear all those up but it, it makes sense though right it makes sense you know when you look at everything else we're talking about prices are going up if you hold your revenue constant and your costs are increasing and i'm telling you i've been in there uh several times within the past three months just being like i don't know i cannot figure out how they actually pay the bills because there's some deals to be had. So I knew this was coming. Really, it, it had to happen. Oh, man. Sorry. Sorry, bro. We can play some Sarah McLaughlin for you if you need it. Oh, that'd be great. Anything else? That's all I got in my fishbowl. Per usual, please rate and review the podcast. Hit us on Twitter at Skippy Doogles or skippydoogles at gmail.com. Peace.